being weird is absolutely the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I would not be talking to you right now. I would not have a multi-million dollar fund. I would not have 130 investments and counting. I would not have an influence or a power, as you've said, in Silicon Valley. I would not, any of that. I would not have a, a book out had I not been weird. Welcome to Hypercurious, our weekly celebration of embracing changes and becoming better leaders by following our curiosity. My name is Bita Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur and your host. In this show, I unveil the most intriguing life and career moments of some of the most successful authors, founders, and artists I know. My guest today is a catalyst and a powerful soul that's changing a male-dominated industry. Only five years ago, Alan Hamilton started a venture capital fund in the US while homeless. Her $10 million fund, Backstage Capital, has invested in over 130 startups led by high-potential, underestimated founders who are people of color, women, and LGBTQ. Alan has just released her book, It's About Damn Time, which I love it end-to-end. In this show, we talk about how to build a strong sense of self, the difference between a dream and a calling, the importance of expressing yourself and being weird. I love that. Why an audience of one needs to be enough for all of us. Welcome to the show, Arlen. Hey, how you doing? Good. I was reading your book and I couldn't put it down. It's about damn time. And your life story is just so inspiring and full of your turns and full of aha moments. And for me, the key words that came to my mind is bravery. It's like a lot of people in your place would have given up and you didn't. And you proved that you could succeed really well by pursuing, you know, your headlines and the things that you wanted to achieve in your life. And I wanted to ask you this question in the beginning, which is, what is your secret to bravery? <laughs> uh, when you say bravery, what I, what I hear more so is like, I have a, a tolerance for risk-taking that I know a lot of people don't have. And so I guess the bravery comes in, like, I am certainly still the person who can do a good cry on a floor. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I can still be vulnerable and, and, and know that it's, it's not all like highlights and great, great stuff. But I, my ability and my willingness to take risks and understand mo more times than not, this is not going to work. I think that's where it comes from. And I don't know where it, it originated within me, but it's, it felt like it's always been there, that part of it. Right. And you said in your book, if you have no assets, you have to become the asset. And the way that you achieve it is through knowledge about your corner of the world. And you went from broke, homeless, to breaking into the music industry, and then becoming one of the most powerful people investing in startups at the moment. And I don't take it lightly. I think this is really true. What I'm saying, I really believe in that. It's just super powerful, the way that you talk about your thesis of investment and the way that you want to change the world with that, right? And if someone is starting right now in the position where you were before you started Backstage Capital, how do you 
select how do you filter what's good knowledge, bad knowledge, what's good advice versus bad advice so you can put that into practice? I've been thinking about that a lot recently because I just there's no perfect way of doing anything and there's no magic blueprint or potion or any of that to any all of this is through trial and error. But you can save time by listening to what others have gone through themselves. Obviously, that's why you're doing the work you're doing is to give that knowledge, that, that knowledge out to people. So I think about it with like when you think about taking advice, a lot of it can be noise. A lot of it can be good advice, but not for you. And some of it can be bad advice. And some of it can even be with a malintent advice, you know. I think it's about crafting judgment, your instincts and crafting your judgment because your judgment is uh, really the bigger version of your instincts over time, right? So again, it comes back to risk-taking. So if you follow your instinct and 50% of the time you're right and 50% of the time it, it turns out that it, you shouldn't have, you're starting to understand like an algorithm, when you're making the right decisions and and what about that moment pinged your instinct and what about that was instinct or it was sort of veiled pressure or veiled stress on yourself. Like I should probably do this other thing and I'm going to call it instinct, you know? So it really, what I, what I mean by this is that it, it just takes time and a few examples and situations where you are, again, willing to take the risk of being wrong so that you can hone in on listening and understanding what your good instincts sound like and feel like. And then over time, that entire holistic process becomes your judgment. It becomes, I trust my judgment now. I don't know. I don't trust. I didn't trust. And I know my judgment was off at 25. I know my judgment was off at 32, but it was better at 32 than it was at 25 because I would I would go and I would go bit by bit. So today I feel very, very strong faith in my own instincts and in my own judgment. And I also understand that I still will be wrong because no one is perfect. But I feel so, so in tune with my instincts and with my judgment that I can make decisions very quickly and I can own up to those decisions and I can take the fall if they end up being bad. And that to me is like a really, it's almost linear process that very few linear processes exist. I love that because it's almost like you're taking off the pressure on yourself. You're like, I'm going to learn. And some times I'm going to be wrong, but I'm just exercising my muscles to be in a much stronger position tomorrow. 100%. And if you have that all wrapped up with a, a mantra of do no harm, like you're not just being unwieldy and I'll just try whatever because I'm trying to, you know. So if you have all of that that we just described, and then you also say every instance I can do no harm, you start to really whittle down to a very very strong sense of self and a very strong sense of what your judgment is. I love it. I love it so much. You say also that you were super in love with the, with the music industry, right? When you were breaking into the music industry and, and carving your space there. But then you found your true calling, 
which is to to build an investment fund and become an investor, an author, a founder, a speaker nowadays, a podcaster, you know. What, what was the shift in your mind? When did it happen that you're like, wait a minute, I love what I'm doing, but there's something so much bigger here that is calling me. Yeah, and I, I think the story itself has been documented and, and I talk about it in the book, but the shift, the difference between following a dream, because being an investor has never been a dream of mine. Being on the road as and music was a dream of mine since I'm 13. So following a dream, getting pretty close to it, you know, and, and, and of course, every time you get to your dream, you notice the reality of it. But it really had some amazing moments and could have gone on to uh, versus following a calling. So one is something that you're going after and one is something that is pulling you. And that's the difference in these two cases. Like one was, I really want to be on the road and I want to meet people and I want to do great things, awesome things with these. And I love live music and all of that. And I'm good at it. And the other one was something I couldn't ignore, something that was like I couldn't deny. And something that turns out that all of my lived experience so far is perfectly shaped to work and do what I do now. And you li you listed a lot of things that I do now, but they are all in line. I think of it like, a, you know, when you see a flock of birds and they're all going in the same direction, very, very in sync. So in the middle of that, you have the investing and then you have the amplification of that with the media parts of what I do. And then you have the education part of what I do and this and that and the other. It's all in the same direction. And it is all towards catalyzing, catalyzing entrepreneurs, mainly entrepreneurs who are underrepresented and underestimated, all towards like you're trying to move an entire boulder of what the last 400 years of life and last 70 years within venture and startup investing, you're trying to move this boulder. So of course, you're going to have multiple ways of doing that. You can't just do it in one way, in my opinion. So that all of that uh, comes together. Yeah. I think people feel it. I feel it. It's like, I, I can feel that you are on a mission, that it's, uh, it's inspiring, it's empowering, it's powerful. It's just, you pull people into Team Ireland, right? Because I think you have <laughs> such a clarity of what you're doing. <laughs> it's interesting because my next question is very much aligned with that. And I'm going to quote someone who I, I'm a big fan of. And I'm not sure if you are, but uh, Maya Angelou, the American poet. Of course. And of course yeah, she, she says, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold star inside you. And you say, be yourself so that people looking for you can find you. And I absolutely love that. When I read that quote, I, I literally highlighted, it was like, this is, this is so true, right? And for people who are struggling with, you know, embracing themselves and finding themselves and like being courageous enough to show themselves to the world, what, what is, uh, what do you say to them? What would be your biggest advice to people who are struggling right now with finding that kind of sense of purpose? What I've come to understand is that it's natural and normal to be struggling at any point. I, there's a, there is a struggle that I have today that is not a struggle that we've talked about, but it is a struggle and I'll work on that. And five years from now, I'll be able to talk about how I overcame that. You know, there's all sorts of struggle 
at all times. So it, to be in that struggle is not a problem. You are not wrong. You are not weird. You are human and you are experiencing something that everybody has experienced at one time or another and maybe experiencing now. What has helped me over the past five years in particular is understanding that not all this is about me or about the person, the one person. So you may be representing someone else in your overcoming or working to overcome your struggle. So what I mean by that is, let's say that you just feel like, oh, I'm not supposed to speak up about this, or I'm just not, I'm not that great at this thing, but I really love doing it. Who am I? I'm just one other person who is this type of artist or one other person who has this idea. Everybody has ideas. You know, you, you're in that mindset because everybody has been there. What if there's someone in Wyoming, there's someone in California, there's someone in Lisbon, and there's someone in uh, Helsinki, and there's someone in, in Chile? What if there's someone in these pockets, and they all are feeling the same way, and they somehow come across your YouTube video talking about it? They somehow come across the blog post that you did. They somehow come across the comment you left in a chat because you dared to just do and share yourself. And what if when you did that, they then felt seen and represented and understood and heard and it sparked something in them. It is not always just about, ah, oh, I can't do this. So it stops with me. And because I'm no good, you know, like, cause we all like, everybody's had that feeling of, Oh, I suck at this. Or I'm, you know, some people have it much worse than others. It's deep anxiety. But what if in your, the thing that you think is so normal and, and is not a brilliance and is not a uh, expertise, but what if it's just enough that it reached someone else? And can that be enough for you? And silencing that to me is the is the tragedy and the travesty I think Maya Angelou was talking about in her in her statement just now. And it's the one that I try to race against. It's how I keep myself motivated to be so transparent and to be so vulnerable really publicly because I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to mess up. I mess up all the time. I think about stuff I did and I'm like, ah, and I wake up and I'm like, ah, I can't believe I yesterday. And then I think, you know what? Someone else is going to get something from that. So I own it. It's there. That's so good. That's so good. And we, we're, we're such a terrible self-editors, right? We're all the time like, but how does it look like what people would think of me and et cetera? And, and if you flip that and you think, well, actually that could be helping someone, even if it's just one person in 7 billion people in the world, that's worth it. Yeah, it's big. And I've seen it happen over and over again where I, sometimes it takes years to understand it. Sometimes you'll never understand it. But I have had people write to me and say, they don't even know, like they just found my name or something and they don't even know what's going on the last five years. And they'll say, in 2006, you posted something on your blog and I was in college at the time and I was commi uh, uh, thinking about committing suicide. And you posted that one blog post out of a thousand and I'm here today and I tracked you down and 
telling you the story 14 years later. This happens all the time. Not maybe that drastically. Maybe it's just you made me think about a, a new comedy routine. And so I've taken that and turned it into a short film. And this happens all the time. And usually it's just years and years later. Sometimes it's immediate and sometimes it's a groundswell, like what's happening right now. But you just never know who you're affecting. You never know who you're influencing and you never know who you're inspiring. And if you keep the, the intention being the good, I'm doing no harm, I'm actually doing the good thing to the world, then you are, right? Yeah. Yeah. You try, you try, you know, like that's, that's the thing. You try to keep it as, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to experiment, I'm going to take this, I'm an adult, so I'll take this calculated risk. I could be wrong, I fall on my face. And also I'm doing it with the understanding and the assumption that it's not going to hurt anybody. That's the best you can do, I think. That's the best we can do. So let's uh, talk about fitting in, right? So when when we are, you know, sometimes we, we might say something, uh, yeah, outside of to the world that it might just be weird and wrong and, and badly interpreted, right? How do you deal with this, with, with that, that kind of feeling that you might never fit in? I, I feel exactly the same. It resonated so much with me when I was reading your words on that. Because it's like, yeah, I, I never fit in. And I feel very weird. I felt very weird most of my life, right? And like, how, how do you deal with that when you are going to something bigger than yourself? And then you're entering this room with full of people who are probably more experienced than you. And you have that kind of, you know, I need to fit in. How do you turn that into your power? So when I was a teenager, I was in the eighth grade. So it would have been like 14 or so. People would call, like, they call me weird my whole life, but they would call, like, kids started calling me weird to my face around then. And my, I told my mom, and I was so sad. And she said, uh, when someone calls you weird, say thank you. Because they're saying that you're, you're, you're not like everybody else. You're not, you're not fitting, you know, and of course... I started doing that and it completely changed it. I was almost waiting for somebody to call me weird, you know, thank you. <laughs> Because internally I started thinking, you know, she's right. Um, I don't, you know, I'm a little teenager. I don't really know exactly what's going to, what it is, but I've, I've always, I never fit in. I've always been able to talk to all types of people, but I've never fit in even when you might think like even among black investors. I still am a little outside outlier, you know. So today, when you think about it, speaking of outliers, 2014 and 15, a year before I get my first check, I'm reading the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, right? I'm reading about these outliers who have, who have such a compelling story, apparently, that they are in a book, like a best-selling book. And some of them It's about these 10,000 hours and this and that. And it's about, this. and I'm just looking at these outliers and I'm like, that's me and then some. I'm broke. I don't even, I'm living with my mom. We don't know how, where we're going to live tomorrow. All of this, but uh, this is me too. And if you think about like the people that you're, just think, imagine anybody that you really just, admire or that you've all like admired for years, anyone. I don't know if you're going to find someone that you've admired for years who has played it safe, who has not been outspoken, who has not been 
considered strange or weird or not not the best at their even the best at their job at the thing that they do. And uh, I remember I I interviewed Kalise the the musician a few weeks ago. Um, she did uh, Milkshake. You know, my Milkshake brings out the boys to the yard. That song she did Bossy and a few other things. And so she's had like some of the most uh, best selling singles in the past you know, 20 years. And she said that she had to beg, beg, beg her label to get Milkshake on the radio. Beg. Nobody liked it. Everybody said it was weird. It didn't have a, have a genre. It was dumb. It was simple. Everybody. And then it became one of the best-selling singles of all time because she dared to be weird and she dared to not care <laughs> about that. So, yeah, we're human. We're going to take things personally. I take things personally on a daily day basis, even though I'm better at it than I used to be. But being weird is absolutely the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I would not be talking to you right now. I would not have a multi-million dollar fund. I would not have 130 investments in counting. I would not have an influence or a power, as you've said, in Silicon Valley. I would not, any of that. I would not have a, a book out. I would not have any of the things that I have today, except for family, which is wonderful, had I not been weird. I love that. I think, yeah, after that, every one of us should be wanting to be weird. <laughs> you should be hoping that you're weird. Exactly. That's a good thing. I love the, the changing perspective. Do you have any, any regrets? Ooh, from, from life? To, how long is this? <laughs> I regret little things. So I don't regret big things because I have, I live by what everything I've just said. I live by you go for it. I've gone for moonshot ideas my whole life and most of them have not worked, but I have had a do no harm policy. Now I regret the times that I harmed, you know, I regret the, the, I wrote this blog post and I reposted it recently where I, I wrote it in December, 2014 where I said that I had been wrong about three major things for the past decade prior to that. And just this month, I reposted that to show how people can change and how people can get better. And so those three things I regret, those were major things. They were about not having enough representation in my blog for uh, in my 20s. I didn't have enough, in my opinion, enough Black women in my lesbian blog, and I had made out every excuse in the book to do that, and, and it was wrong, and other things that I listed. So I have very, it's when I say, oh, I have done harm. I went against my policy. I just didn't realize it, and now I'm going to own up to it. And then little things. Like, there is this thing that I did a few months ago that has been haunting me. And I got, maybe I'll just go online and say it, because I'll, I'll say it right here. Okay, you're going to think this is so stupid. So I was speaking at Stanford, which, by the way, cool, right? Speaking at Stanford. Yes. Full room, full theater, full of people who came at night to see me. And somebody asked me something about Africa. And I pronounced the word um, diaspora like diaspora. Okay. It's on film and it's on audio. And I hate that I did that. 
Really? And it haunts me. Yeah. <laughs> so those types of things I regret because it haunts me because it speaks to a larger um, misunderstanding of it's not, an, I don't understand enough, you know, and if I had understood enough, I would know that that's not how you pronounce it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So these are the things that rack my brain. I have a, a very, I told you I'm weird. So I have a very like, I'm always calculating. It's impossible for me to stop calculating. I have some sort of like obsessive compulsive habit. So I can't stop calculating no matter what's going on. And little things like that, that happened few months ago or maybe 10 years ago, I said something, I sent a text to somebody that I thought, oh, you're so like a girl, like a woman that I was like being a nerd around or something. And I'm like, oh, why did I send that text 12 years ago? Those types of things like haunt me because of my ob- obsessiveness. Like it just wake up as like, oh my God, that thing. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> when you... You you made a, an analogy about when you're starting out that you kind of like a band, right? So you actually talked about a band that you were representing. And I thought it was fascinating that you, when you are a new band and then you have to have all of the relentless energy to go and play to five people. And then maybe tomorrow it's to 10 and then to 50. And then eventually you might be playing to thousands of people, right? How do you stay strong when you are in that moment of zero to one? Yeah. One has to be enough. That's one way. You know, one has to be enough. I think, you know what is a good example? You were on my podcast. We were one of the very first people on my podcast, the first 10 interviews, just celebrated a year. And I remember when I decided, having already been well-known and and already, you know, having a lot under my belt with investments and all sorts of things, I wanted to start this podcast from scratch and I wanted to do it independently. I had been offered to have it sponsored in a way that was like under someone else's umbrella. So I'd have to do what they wanted and interview who they wanted, but it would be my voice and I'd be paid a lot. And I had turned that down. And so I was doing it all independent. And I remember thinking, like, I'm breaking into really, even though I've had, a, I've been on podcasts and I've had another series that had other metrics, I'm actually just breaking into podcasting. What if only a few people listen? So before I even started, I had to have that talk with myself of, wait a minute, what if a few people listen? <laughs> what if a few people listen? And again, it's, I talk about in my book, repurposing things all the time. And that was it. It was like, wait a second, that can't be a negative for this situation. It has to be a positive because someone is going to take their time and listen to me and listen to who I decided was a good interview and take something from and, and then maybe get something from that. That's huge. So my goal was if we have 10 listeners, but they listen every episode, I'm, we win. And then you go on to have thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners who every, as soon as I post an episode, you just see the the numbers going up, you know? And if I had started off with, I won't pursue this, I'll do it two times. And if they, if I don't have 10,000 listeners on the first two, then it's not worth it. Then I would have never gotten to the point. So I think it that's one way is that it has to, it can't always just be about 
the payoff up front and you have to find a, a good re- reason. And, and maybe when you're doing your diligence on the thing to do next, you do measure it and weigh it and say, actually, it probably won't be worth it. I'm going to put my time and energy and talent towards something else because I've done this diligence of understanding that the the metrics don't align with what the impact I'm trying to make. That's fair too. And how do you define the impact you want to make? Personally, I want to catalyze. So everything I do is about catalyzing. It's about catalyzing those who are at an inflection point, right? So that's such a, it's a broad group of people, but I do it in so many different ways. That's the impact because I know if I, if I always do that, if you like, if you think about inflection points and you think about if I'm the, the hammer or the, or the, the wind or whatever kind of analogy we're going to do, if, if, if I'm meeting you where lightning strikes and I can do something in that moment, that one moment that accelerates what you do, that gives you more years to do what you want to do, gives you more time to do what you want to do, and then therefore it impacts other people, then I can stand in one place and I can do that over and over again and I can have that at scale and that can be, reap so many benefits so many different ways. Some of which, of course, I won't see. Some of which I will see in real time. Some of which I just won't see in my lifetime. That's it. It's that be, the, be there at your inflection point and then strike. That's so beautiful. I have so many more questions to you and I'm conscious of your time. So thank you very, very much for your time and for your wisdom. I made loads of mental notes here and I'm sure that everyone who's listening to us is going to be full of ideas and inspiration from you and do buy her book because it's really, really good. Yes. Wow, what an episode. I absolutely loved talking to Alan and felt so inspired by all her wisdom. Look, if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I'd love you to rate us and subscribe and comment and share around with your friends and enemies and everyone around. Make sure that you follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram. You just search for my name, Bita Luca, B-E-T-A-L-U-C-C-A. Or you can go to hypercurious.fm. For now, ciao, ciao.